Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, okay. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you on. And it is six o'clock. And I think we're ready to kick this thing off. And I'm excited about this special event we're doing. I'm excited about hearing about <clears throat> don't let a good crisis go to waste. So let's let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this um, technology, this way we can get together in this way. And I just ask your blessing on this time together this morning. I pray for uh, the speakers who are sharing, for Andrew and Patrick and Jonathan. I just pray, Lord, you would um, uh, use them to inspire us to serve you where we are. Uh, may your kingdom come and your will be done. We just ask your blessing on this time here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I'm excited about hearing what we have for the for today and this morning, especially right now. And I'm going to turn it over to Glenn Martin. Glenn's going to give us a short int- introduction to this topic, and then I think he's going to hand it back to me. Go ahead, Glenn. Yes, uh, good morning. And uh, thank you, Wendell, for opening here. So I feel very uh, privileged and honored to be uh, a part of this here this morning. So uh, never let a crisis go to waste. That's a quote that's often used in um, leveraging some kind of a crisis for a political advantage. And um, whenever we hear that term today, it's always used in a negative sense. But that was actually not the case when the phrase was uh, first coined. It was uh, Winston Churchill who gave us this quote about 80 years ago. And at that time, it was actually a positive term. And, um, it, you know, it could be like... Um, I'm going to turn this problem into an opportunity for good. Or you could say if, um, you know, sometimes they would use the phrase, if, um, if life is giving you lemons, make lemonade. So that's the idea. Let's not let a good, um, let's not let a crisis go to waste. So 2020 has been a, a crisis. It's been a, a crazy year. Um, there's nobody living today who has seen such a roller coaster of um, economic and polarizing news and riots and then the contested election. And uh, it's affected every one of us. Uh, Everyone was happy to see 2020 um, be gone. But then in the first week here of 2021, the U.S. Capitol building security, of course, uh, there was breached. For those of us here in the United States, this is totally unprecedented in our generation. So I think we have an opportunity Uh, There's a decision before us. We need to decide what are we going to do with this. We can either cower or we can conquer. So by cowering, uh, we dream of the good old days. We just wish the problem would go away. Uh, Maybe we can wait it out. And uh, we retract into some shell of isolation. And uh, we bemoan the opportunities that we lost because certainly we lose opportunities of um, you know, with the social experience that we have with um, folks around us. But the alternative is that we can, that we can conquer. So um, instead of cowering, we're going to conquer, we're going to dream of new ways that we can take advantage of, take advantage of this situation. If our, if people's hearts are in fear, 
uh, we can bring peace and bring hope. If people are hungry or needy, we can offer food. We can be God's hands and God's feet. So it was um, last year on uh, March 31, the shutdowns were in New Phenomena. And um, I got a text message from Patrick Matthew. He invited me to join a Zoom call. At that time, Zoom was a new thing for uh, almost all of us, probably. And uh, I hadn't even known about Zoom before. And uh, so anyway, he had asked if um, those who are interested could get together on a Zoom call to have a time of prayer together. And he said, quote, to reach towards God for our stability, end of quote. So that began, uh, that actually was the beginning of Strength of Strength, uh, the, the, the Zoom call that we're joined in on right now. So I think that's an example. Um, Patrick was not one to cower. He was prepared to, to conquer. And he didn't stop with uh, Zoom meetings. He opened a food distribution network. And we're going to be hearing about that uh, shortly. Others have uh, distributed food in their local communities. We'll also be hearing about that from Andrew. Others have uh, formed international connections through technology, and uh, we'll be hearing about that as well from Jonathan. Um, in the early days when masks were in short supply, there was um, many folks who began to sew masks and uh, offer those for, for free to the public. There was a group that was formed uh, called Anabaptist COVID Response in the early days, and uh, they were organized quickly to distribute masks and food and prayer to medical personnel in New York City. And I think that's what it looks like for a crisis to not go to waste. So we can have a knee-jerk reaction to cower. And I think these brothers and sisters um, saw opportunities in the crisis to be conquered. So wherever we are, wherever we live, uh, I think this time that we're in, the needs are, are greater. If you had some needs in your community before, those needs are greater now. So um, we want to encourage everyone here to use this as a time to, to conquer. We have an opportunity that we never had before. And so that's, uh, that's why we're gathered together here. We want to um, look to these brothers to hear how they're contributing, um, how they're using these opportunities for the kingdom. So that's uh, really about all I have to share. Just a short intro there. Um, and Wendell, look forward to it. Hey, thank you, Glenn. Thank you for um, that introduction. And yeah, Glenn is the one who has been sort of heading up this strength to strength for the last, um, I don't know, six months. So thanks to him, too, for all he's put into this. Okay. We're going to look to you, Patrick Matthews. Patrick is from Chambersburg, PA, and we're going to let him tell us about Matthew 25 Ministries, I think he calls it, and how many pounds of food that has been they have been distributing through that. Math, uh, Patrick, you have 15 minutes, so that takes you to 6:23, and we'll have a time, a short time of Q and A after that. So get ready. We don't have a lot of time. We're going to keep this moving along. Um, if you have a question for Patrick, be ready to fire it off after the, after his little talk. Um, if you have your mic, just try to mute your mic so that you're not being a distraction while Patrick is speaking. And then if you 
or on a computer, you can you can press the space bar to temporarily unmute to ask a question. If you're on, on a phone, you'll have to tap a button to do that. Okay, Patrick, take it from here. Okay. Um, Luke 10, I think it's 10.10. It says, he is faithful with least is faithful also in much. And he, and he who is unjust in what is least, he's unjust in very much. That was the call to this entire project. Um, it's actually, the, it was a goof. Glenn asked me what was the name of the project. I never put one together. I just called it the Matthew 25 project because I know that, excuse me a minute. My office has heat blowing on me and it's just terrible. Um, anyway, it all started out as a goof. Somebody gave me a call and said, would you like a little bit of milk? And I went and retrieved 550 gallons of milk and I distributed it. And then what happened is um, the next week I was dealing with 4,000 gallons of milk at a time um, and the pipe opened. And if I was worried about accountability, I come from a background where I was just did what I wanted and I never had accountability. And the accountability I found in the conservative churches has made me excel and make sure that what I do is at a level of which I've never done before. So when I was handling this product, these, this food, I was worried about if I ever got audited, what do I, you know, how could I account for myself? And so I started to hand food out and do it in a biblical way. Um, I'll tell you the ending story. I got a call by a businessman just the other day and he asked me, who could he do, give $15,000 now and possibly up to $100,000 in the next few months to, to distribute food? And I asked him, does he, did he want a selfish answer or a selfless answer? And he said he wanted both. And we discussed things, but the, the thing is, you got to remember, you don't, some of you guys don't know me. Nobody would have ever asked me a question like that 10 years ago. And now he's asking me, where do I put my funds? I trust you. And the reason he trusts me is because I trusted you, you guys as the Anabaptist uh, community. And you taught me how to be um, a good steward with a very little bit. And because I handled it in the correct way, the Lord opened the pipe and it went viral. I had 550 gallons of milk the first day. 4,000 gallons of milk the next week, 40,000 pounds of chicken the next week. And then all of a sudden I got involved in a system where they were asking me to help find people to distribute food throughout a four state area. And I would go to, I would call people and say, it's really easy. Let me tell you how to do it. You call, you know, we'll give you three trucks of food, 30,000 pounds at a time um, within a month. And they were like, well, refrigeration, what do we do here? And I said, it's really, really simple. Let me tell you the technique. You go into town, you find the nearest junkie. You tell them, we're bringing food at this parking lot at this time. Can you go on Facebook and tell your friends? Because every junkie I know has a phone. And then I, went, I, I said, go to see the next homeless person and then tell them, this is where you can do it. And as people came, what you were to do is get on your phone and or tell them to get on their phone and tell their friends. And so 
in some way, we created this system where people were handing out a truck of food in three hours. And I mean, it was incredibly a lot. And, and, you know, I know I'm talking about accountability and the pipe opening up. I was overwhelmed. I have never had the responsibility for uh, approximately 375 truckloads, 30,000 pounds, which equaled about $11.25 million worth of food through this Farm the Family program. And what I was trying to do is make sure it went to people who really need it. That's the biggest thing that I heard everybody in Chambersburg. Well, isn't the homeless is supposed to have this? And I, I kept telling them, there's only so many hams I can put in somebody's car. I mean, you can't, they, they had this at such a level that, you know, I had 35 hams for one person. If you did per capita, I had about 35, 40 hams. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'm making this number up. I'm trying to tell you it was overwhelming. How can some one person in a car handle 35 hams in one week? There's no way. So I started, you know, as people were asking me, what do I do with all this product? I started to reach out to like Bald Eagles, uh, Boy Camp, Allegheny's Boys Camp, Mountain View, and different people. And I started up this logistical uh, system where people were coming and getting it and taking it. And some of it even ended up in Massachusetts with Glenn and Andrew. Um, it was just relational. I just kept talking to people and, and funneling it. And, you know, that was all well and good, but, you know, it was crazy. And one of, you know, I was telling you about this guy asking me about this money. I told him that if he was to choose on the selfish side, if he would choose to give it to me, this is how I would do it. And we would do it at a much slower pace and a much more sustainable pace. Um, the thing is, on the 19th, they're going to start handing out the contracts for the fifth phase of this Farm to Family program. And I have to make a decision, do I get back into it? and just do it as a distributor. I like distributing, or I like using my telephone and talking to people and shipping things. Like I said, hospitality. I would rather talk to you on the phone than actually do it because I don't know if any of you have ever handled a 4,000 pounds of milk twice a week. There's always a skid that falls over. There's always milk that busts. You poke the side, it stinks. You know, and I had to dawn a phrase with a friend of mine as I did it. And the more he got mad because his his, his uh, food pantry started to really have a sour smell, smell, I had to keep telling him, don't cry over spilled milk. <laughs> but, you know, it took more than just Mennonites. It took a, a whole host of people. And I, I had people to come along and help me with it. And logistically, it's a lot of work. Um, to, to borrow four or five uh, semis, uh, refrigerated semis in the fine warehouse space that has refrigeration and get pallets and people giving me forklifts. And it was just like a circus. And unfortunately, I am used to a circus or a disconnected um Glenn, I, I, I could see you trying to do this. You would you would blow up because it was not linear. Nothing was really easy. Um, nothing was just 
one thing building on another, it was chaotic. And not only you, Glenn, I didn't mean to point you out. There's just many people that if they try to handle this dysfunctional program in a linear fashion, it wouldn't work. And God created me and I'm dysfunctional and I understand chaos. And unfortunately, in that chaos, God was showing me a way to take two brothers that were upset with each other over just misconceptions and, and how to step in in a godly manner and, and handle that problem and give. You got to tell me when I'm getting close to my end because give me, let me know when I'm, because I'll babble forever. Anybody who knows me knows me. You got about five minutes yet. Okay. Thank you. I don't want to go over the time. God has given me, a, uh, this is what I was thinking about. People in my town, how do they view me as a plain person, as an Anabaptist, as a, as a missionary in Chambersburg? How are they seeing me? And that kept me, that accountability kept me toting to line. And don't think that I'm saying that I always had these problems. What am I going to do? I just would search God. How do I fix this problem? And each time that I did, I came out with a better solution. And he gave me a little bit. And then he opened it to a lot. Now it's huge. I have business people calling me up, asking me, how can I put this money? What do I do? Now, there's been some problems. Like I opened a pipe and people, I seen greed. I seen um rudeness i seen all kinds of problems during one phase of this but it was not so much how to change them but how to change me and how to deal with this problem inside because ultimately if i can't handle it and do it in a godly manner i can't ask other people to do that either and i don't know if i'm making any sense i i just i've enjoyed this project and i i i I'm wired in a certain way where I have particular talents and God seemed fit to increase. And in that increase, I think that I handle it correctly. And this is one of the things, strength to strength, week to week, is one of the things that I needed and it anchored me during a time of chaos because I needed fellowship. You know, that's why I called it week, W-E-A-K, week to week, W-E-E-K, because each week that this COVID thing was going on, I was getting weaker and weaker, and, and I didn't know what to do, and there were just all these standards. So I guess if I answered anything, I'm going to give the time to somebody else. Basically, that's what I did. I handled the chaotic situation in the most godly fashion that I could, and I, I had to rely on on God and people in this little group to keep from going out and keep from spinning out of control. Next. Hey, thanks a lot, Patrick. Um, I appreciate your willingness to, like you said, some of us would get, we'd just go, we'd blow up if we tried to do that. And I think that I'd be one of them. So um, handle the craziness and, and, bless people through the chaos 
One thing that you said, I remember hearing you, you said about starting this strength to start week to week when you had called it that you felt like the devil was out doing, doing uh, push-ups on your front lawn. You needed to do something to strengthen each other. And so that really resonated with me. Thank you for that. And thank you for, um, yeah, sharing. I don't have a lot of questions. I don't have a question right now, but I'm, I'm going to open it up. Anyone has a question, go ahead um, for Patrick and see what you can learn from him yet. Patrick, so we have a bunch of people on the call here from a lot of different communities. Uh, would there be a tip of how you can connect with a with an ecosystem of free food like that? Um, and, and what was this? Was this just like uh, stores and like out of date stuff? And yeah, so is there a way to connect in an, in an ecosystem like that? And lastly, um, what what type of foods was this? Okay. It was a program called Farm the Family, and it was part of the stimulus package. The food was all within date, and it had a year's shelf time. Some of it was frozen. Some wasn't. Some milk was, you know, within a week. Um, round five's coming along, and it's on the USDA um, website called Farm the Family, and you can look at who the vendors are on the 19th. They're going to decide. And you can call that vendor and ask them to get some. Blessings of Hope was handling a lot of it in this area. They were just the uh, transportation organization. Um, I don't have their phone number right in front of me, but you can call Blessings of Hope and tell them that you want to be on the farm, the family. Now, they also are selling truckloads. Um, a food at about a thousand dollars a truckload in between. I'm just, you know, their whole thing is not to get free food away. They're trying to be sustainable. So this program is a free program and it's meant for the people. And that's where the accountability came. Cause I was wondering if the government came to me and they, they were to ask me, where did you put this food? If I had a bad answer, I would have put a bad reflection on our, our churches. So that, okay. Did I answer what you needed? Yes, that, that's, that's right. Right on. Thank you, brother. Uh, Patrick, what was the biggest, what was the biggest challenge and the biggest blessing that you, you just have a quick answer for this whole thing? Greed was the number one biggest problem. You never... There are certain groups you can't say free to because when they hear free, they think they're entitled. That's the first thing. That drove me crazy to watch um, greed at a level that I seen on one particular thing. And the biggest blessing is, I guess the ending would be this guy, the businessman that called me and asked me, am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, having the businessman yes. see me as an ex-convict and knowing that I'm a member, he's actually the gentleman I'm talking about, some Mormon, and he's seen a Mennonite handle something like this. And he stepped across the line and he was asking me, where should they put these funds? So that's probably one of the biggest questions. I, you know, like, I can sit here and tell you, yeah, giving this piece of food to this little kid who's hungry that was crying, there was none of that. 
I, I'm none that I seen because I was running through the whole thing, just building an organization of people to hand out food and to tap into their spirit of helping people. You were talking about the mask making thing, just finding a group of people that in their DNA was to help people and pull them together and, uh, and band together and do it in a godly manner was probably my biggest blessing that I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Hey, very good. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Patrick, for sharing that. And I think we're going to go to Andrew Kurtz. Oh, Andrew's from Grandview, Massachusetts. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Thank you. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we'll just uh, share a little here about the uh, food parcel program that we are doing here at the local fellowship in uh, Western Massachusetts. Um, as was mentioned, I live in Granby, Massachusetts with my wife and children. There's uh, several other uh, families in that same town and then other families in surrounding towns. So we service um, sort of a, maybe a, a six, seven town radius, something like that. So I'll give you a little of the backstory, how we got into it, why we got into it, and then also uh, some of the results that are are coming out of it. So yeah, thank you, Patrick, for, for sharing. You've been part of our story. Blessings on that. And you said you have to decide if you'd like to get into the next uh, funding block, and uh, I'd say go for it. All right, so a year, like in 2019, um, some of us relocated to a new community uh, eastward of where we had lived previously, approximately an hour, nearly an hour from from uh, the very western part of Massachusetts to just eastward to a, a slightly more uh, populated area. It was a uh, it was a new church plant, and uh, having been involved with with um, outreach in the past, uh, church plants um, outreaches. Uh, having been closely involved with two of them and um, and closely observing a couple of more, the one thing that that I always observed is when when people move into a new community there's there's generally this investment right up front, so people are buying homes, people are buying farms, people buy business places, commercial property, and they they put up a church building or buy a church building, they put up a school or buy a school. There's there's this sort of like this influx of capital uh, in a community, and it gets attention. Like people pay attention to this, and uh, the media often pays attention. In every case that I've been involved with, the media you know came out and did a story on on these people moving into the area and that type of thing. And uh, when we when we moved into Granby, uh, like we had we had none of that, um, or almost none. We we did buy homes, but our our businesses were were you know were already established in another lo another locality. We were driving thirty minutes to the west. Some of us and other other of the brothers started um, home based businesses just out of you know out of their house or a garage. No investment in commercial property. We we decided to meet in homes. So there's you know no investment in in a 
in a in a church or a school that kind of thing so it's sort of like we moved into this community uh very nondescript compared to what i would have been used to observing and been a part of in, in the past and so the question that that faced us over and over is like like how do we make an impact here we are you know what do, what do we do um yeah that's love our neighbors and serve our neighbors and learn to know them that kind of thing and then you know covid came along and and scrambled that a bit you know kind of put a damper on social interaction to to a degree but but prior to to covid we were having these conversations at brothers meetings you know like like how do we how do we make an impact and we had a few um a few ideas that we came up with, you know, like a food parcel program, hot meals on the street, which we had done that for a while, uh, teaching English classes to immigrants, lots of immigrants in this area, uh, college student friendships, which I guess we'll hear more about this morning a little bit later, um, financial courses using, using uh, CAMS um, curriculum for that, uh, serving in soup kitchens and and uh, homeless shelters, and I'm not sure what all the list was. It was it was quite a list that we'd kind of compiled over a few meetings, and uh, ultimately, what uh, what we chose to do at the end of last year, and very early in 2020, actually end of 19, and very early in 2020, was uh, some of us decided we're going to serve in soup kitchens. So that's what we did. Uh, Glenn had been doing that for a time. Uh, my family began to do that. My brother Joe was doing that. Um, I'm not sure if some of the others did. Uh, Darwin had some interaction with with the uh, Springfield Rescue Mission, which was a homeless shelter and uh, and soup kitchen. So as as a way of beginning to know that crowd, we we served in soup kitchens for some time, and then uh, along came COVID, and. Uh, and a lot of the soup kitchens got shut down. The The homeless shelters and the soup kitchens actually got shut down, or at least got narrowed down to a very small group of, of administrators. The volunteers were no longer permitted to, to come in and, and serve. So that kind of put an end to, to what we were doing in, in serving in the, in the soup kitchens. So uh, one, of the, one of the rescue missions, I believe it was the Springfield Rescue Mission, had put out a, a plea for resources and uh, and Brother Darwin decided to to go to Pennsylvania to Blessings of Hope and uh, get some things for the uh, Springfield Rescue Mission. Now, if Blessings of Hope, Patrick mentioned that already. Uh, it was it was a resource. It was a, a place of obtaining. It was a, really a food bank, and uh, we were aware of that. It's a place that I had visited with my family. Place that Darwin had visited with uh, with his family prior to, so we were aware of it. It was something we were interested in connecting with, but we didn't really have the the resources in place. But it was sort of a a back of mind type of thing. Like like if you know if we could only figure out some program, uh, that'd be a great great resource. So uh, that had been running for some years prior. One of my my friends that I, I knew had had started that. And uh, just as an interesting side note, when they when Blessings of Hope started, they were they were serving seven families, so they had had seven families. They did a parcel for every week, I believe. And uh, last year, 2020, I believe they did over 60 million pounds of food, so about 1.2 million pounds of food per per week. So that's uh, incredible growth. Anyway, 
So when Brother Darwin said, hey, I'm going to go to Blessings of Hope, I'm going to Pennsylvania, I'm going to Blessings of Hope, getting some product for the Springfield Rescue Mission, I suggested to the, the brothers that, hey, this is our opportunity to, um, to put a food parcel program together. We're going anyway, let's get some additional food and let's, let's do this. So we talked through, talk through the logistics of it. We put some messages, messages out on the, uh, on the local uh, community forums, basically just Facebook messages that said, if you're facing food insecurity, we can help sign up here. Had a Google link to Google Docs that went to a spreadsheet to create the database. And I, th I think that first time, I don't recall exactly um, how many how many we had sign up, but I, I know within a few days of putting the messages out, we had 13. I think we may have gotten close to 50 signups in the first week. I'm not sure, somewhere around there. But we're, we're doing another distribution uh, today. We do them on the average once a month. It, we, we may have skipped a month, but early on, we were actually doing a little bit closer, but we're, we're settling in on, on a one, once a month food parcel program probably about a 40 pound, somewhere between 30 and 40 pound box. So yeah, today is, a, today is the day to do another distribution and we have uh, 200 families signed up that'll be getting parcels today. Uh, most of the product comes from, from Blessings of Hope in Pennsylvania. Uh, we did twice, uh, twice we got a shipment from Patrick Matthews. So uh, as the thing grows, people get interested and get involved uh, Linford and Anna Doherty from Pennsylvania. They've been providing the transportation the last several months, which has been a real blessing. Early on, uh, the first time Darbins went down and got product. After that, mostly my wife and I were going down and uh, shopping at Blessings of Hope, bringing the food back. But, you know, it's a, it's a commitment to, to make that drive six hours uh, once a month and, uh, and, you know, load up product, bring it back, pack it, distribute it. It would tie up the best end of three days out of a, a month, which which is fine. We were we're happy to do. But then as it grew, uh, Linford and Anna joined the the team, providing logistics. Been a huge blessing. So thank you to them uh, for that. So, um, you know, what's the what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is to 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 serve. The purpose is to establish relationships. And uh, going into a new community like like we are, it was about um, it, it's a way of making an impact, learning to know people. Uh, it was a little bit, you know, you might say scary at first. Like this does become a public thing. You put this out on the on Facebook, and it becomes uh, known in the community. And and all of a sudden, we go from being you know hidden and nondescript to to something more more public, something that's talked about. A lot of people, you know, blessed it had questions and so forth. So uh, it takes a little bit of boldness to, to overcome the, maybe the, the head trash that holds you back a little bit. But, but in, in faith, we, uh, we uh, pursued. So the pandemic hit and um, the need was great. Um, jotted down some reasons here uh, why the need was great. Number one, uh, there was a lot of layoffs due to COVID. And independent contractors uh, did not qualify for, for benefits in many ways. So they were a group of people that fell through the cracks. Another thing that happened is the schools closed. So children had to stay home. And you have a lot of uh, single moms. We, we connected with um, 
a number of single moms that quite a few, in fact, single moms uh, signed up because they had to now stay home because their children were not in school. And if you um, quit a job, you don't qualify for for benefits. If you're laid off, the company lays you off, you're you qualify. But someone that quits due to having to stay home. Um, now they don't qualify. So there was so there was a lot of stimulus money that was put out there that was designed to be a safety, a social safety net. The problem is there was a lot of people that fell through that, and um, and we were there to our our goal was to to fill some role there that to people that were were suffering. So uh, as I mentioned, the soup kitchens were closed. Uh, people were staying home. Um, there was also people that were simply scared. There was people that that really took the thing serious and they hold up in their in their house, and this was just a way to uh, to connect to to people like that. Also, there was other social workers that we connected with. Uh, there's at least two that that also sign up clients under them, so we don't even meet the end user. It's not many. There's there's probably maybe a grand total of of, of less than ten people that are that are served that way. But that was was another another way. So just um, just a few people that come to mind that have been. I'll, I'll just tell you their 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 story. So there was a, a single mom. Her name is Samantha. She lives in the same town that we do. She was new to town, and um, when COVID hit, her children had to stay home, and um, and she had to quit her job. And because she quit her job she didn't qualify for for unemployment benefits and uh so here she is now staying at home and uh i, I think there's other programs that she could apply for but they weren't you know they weren't they weren't lucrative lucrative in any way so we um we provided a food parcel there she was she's been a regular recipient almost from the beginning um another one there's a, a lady a lesbian pastor uh, her name is Tassandra. She is very active in a in a local church, um, obviously a very liberal church. But uh, she she serves families in the community, so she comes and and gets uh, boxes and and distributes them to several other their fam several other families. Another family. Um, her name is is Sarah. Um, she's a, a very sickly person and. Uh, COVID hit them or like just impacted their lives significantly. And they were, were struggling both from disease and also or like from an autoimmune disorder. And uh, we, we took food to them. Uh, she's been posting on a, on a community forum. Um, actually, no, she, she was actually, this is on, on her private page, but she had friend requested uh, those of us that were, that were um, involved in this, this food program or at least from the, the same ones in the same town. And uh, she she has some autoimmune disorder and was putting out these messages saying that, you know, I'm, I'm dying. I, I have very little time left with my family and, and all of these things, these, these uh, very, uh, very sad and, and, uh, and heartbreaking uh, messages. And uh, so we developed a, a, a burden to, to pray for her. And that was like part of, of this thing of, you know, putting out parcels, learning to know people, and then finding these opportunities where we can can go further and, and witness 
to um, to people. So um, she contacted us and said, you know, or, or, yeah, contacted us, and we took a food parcel. My wife and I took one, took a food parcel to her, and uh, to her and her husband Daniel and Sarah, and uh, we asked if if we could pray for them, and had a sat there, had a nice nice conversation, visited a while, very friendly, and uh, and then I asked if if we could pray. So we we prayed i prayed for um for for healing for for time for her and so forth and and amazingly you know i mean i guess why should we be amazed but there was like this drastic shift in her in her life um she very soon after that began posting messages how she's how she's healed and and getting better and and uh now she has more time with her family and you know all of these things um because of her uh, COVID, uh, I'm sorry, because of her autoimmune disorder, it's, you know, we're like really, really careful about going there. You know, we, we want to be the last people to take COVID to to someone with an autoimmune disorder. So um, it's, you know, you have to walk this line very, very carefully. But in that in that time that we did, did pray for her, um, as I mentioned, since that her, there was, there was, there was, there's definitely divine intervention in her life, no question. And uh, she has she has been uh, much better since. She still is not totally out of the woods, but her so the, the shift in her life is like I had more time. I'm I'm doing well. I'm you know I'm blessed. You know it was a drastic shift from the earlier messages of of depression and dying to one of of hope and and living. So uh, we praise the Lord for that. And and that's. And that really, that type of thing was really the the vision for getting into the food parcel program so that we could have these opportunities to, to minister to a deeper level. Met some really neat people. Um, met a, a man really close to us there, a homeschool family. He actually grew up Hutterite. He left the Hutterites when he was 19, South Dakota. Um, they recently moved to, to Kansas, but there was a family that, uh, as I said, were homeschoolers, and we connected because of his his Hutterite background. We had him over to our place for a barbecue, and and uh, just just a very nice family. It's been a real blessing to to meet them. I wish they would have stayed around, um, but they they moved west. So I think that covers the basics of, of what I was going to um, to share, other than to say that. That it doesn't require a crisis to to do something like this. The crisis, um, you know, we're in a crisis now. The next one is just around the corner. Um, we we kind of roll from one crisis to another. All the crisis does is uh, kind of exaggerates the needs. It exposes the needs. These needs always exist, and you don't have to do something like this. You don't have to be in a new community to to do a program like this. If you're in a community already. You're you're already um, you know you're if you're established you have a name uh, just use that and and roll with that uh, doesn't take a new community doesn't take a new crisis you can do this the the resources exist and uh, those of us who've already done it can can give you some pointers but it's not rocket science uh, a little bit of organization a little thought you can roll. So yeah, any questions or or anything? Um, 
Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Andrew, uh, for sharing how you're, you're using this opportunity to steward, steward the resources. Um, I, Patrick talked about greed. How did you, how do you go about, um, do you, do you have a way of telling, deciding who gets what? Um, and, and are you, you know, I know for myself when I'm, if I'm helping someone out, I want to make sure they need it, but sometimes maybe that's a, maybe that's a, um, attitude that I shouldn't worry about as much. What, what do you, do you have any ideas or thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I went over time there. I see now. Um, but, um, yeah, we don't worry about it. It's Jesus didn't seem to worry about it. Jesus never, never uh, mentioned we should only help those that are worthy. So. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Questions? Anyone else? Hey, Andrew. Um, thanks for sharing. I I've been enjoying kind of looking in through Facebook and what you guys are doing there. Um, one thing I noticed is that you like, you let other people help like from the community, like for making deliveries and stuff like that. I thought that was really interesting. So maybe just tell us a little bit about that. Like what was your thinking behind that and why do you do it? Yeah, we do it because um, there's, it, it actually, there's quite a few deliveries. People, it's probably about 60% pickup and 40% delivery. So that ends up being quite a few parcels to deliver. So we get kind of, you know, burned out uh, trying to do all these delivery parcel, all these parcel deliveries. So it's a little bit of a balancing act because at some level, the whole point of, of us doing this is to connect to people, to be able to minister to them and so forth. And when we're bringing in people from the community who want to help to go do it, um, it maybe breaks that chain a little bit. So we do mix up the routes. It's not like everybody always does the same route. So some of us kind of always do get around to the different people. Um, the other hand, or the other the other thing is the volunteers are a good source of relationship as well. So as they're coming in to, to help, um, we have, have people from the community doing deliveries. The other night we had a food packing at Brother Darwin's place. Their neighbors came over to help pack a family of, of with five children. So that was, that was a blessing. So yeah, it's, it builds the, the network of relationships. I'd have some pictures we could scroll through really quickly. Sure. I'll just go through very quickly. Uh, this starts at the most, uh, the most recent packing the other night packing up the 200 parcels. This is Brother Darwin's garage. There, my wife and daughter in the center doing uh, some packing. There's a, a group. There you can see the boxes of the product that are going into, you know, into the final parcels. Some more packing. There, that grainy photo, that's just a picture of a volunteer who came and we're loading up her car. I think she got uh, 10 parcels in that car, I believe, between the trunk and the back seat. And uh, she and her 16-year-old son are going out to uh, deliver in the community. Same car, my wife and the volunteer there, her name is June. She's, uh, she's volunteering today again.
Anyway, I'm just, could you hear the audio on that, those videos? No, there was no audio that I heard. Okay. All right. So um, anyway, I, there was audio with it. So I did share that to the Facebook group, just be, like before the parcels come out, just to kind of build the anticipation. So the people that, that get parcels are in a Facebook group and um, the majority of them anyway called sharing the blessings and so it, before uh distribution we generally try to to build the anticipation a little bit show the process of packaging there's the patrick i believe those came from you i believe that's the farm to families boxes some more packing there's uh that's what came from patrick that was a that was a farm uh farm to family parcel there so that's uh patrick matthews uh blessing there that is in this that was in the same one more of the same more of the same this is down at uh blessings of hope the the previous video there was was just some children or yeah like my children and some nieces and nephews singing around the campfire and so I shared that to the Facebook group as well. I'd also shared John D. Martin's uh, message on uh, the importance of the kingdom to the Facebook group. So why, why I'm saying this is that in, in building this community of, of food parcel recipients and also having them in a Facebook group, uh, we get to share additional things. So share some so on this Facebook group, share some some messages, share some some you know things that might be of, of common interest. Uh, I should also mention that in the food parcels, the last several times now we're putting in tracks and uh, we have one called the that Glenn wrote called the the Kingdom of God or, or no, what's it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It basically gives the kingdom message in a track. So that went into the boxes. The parcels that are going out today, have uh, have a little story in about Martin the Shoemaker and how Jesus came to see Martin the Shoemaker. So anyway, here my wife and I are blessings of hope shopping for the parcels. There's another parcel that went out earlier in the year. Another parcel. Parcels in the in the van or in the box trailer there being ready ready to be picked up. There's the contents of another parcel on the the right of the screen. There's that whole milk that was uh, that came from a farm locally here that was dumping milk due to uh, production cuts um, at the the plant. So the farmer had extra milk, and so we had a local creamery here uh, process it and bottled it up and sent it out. We only did that once. We could have done it quite a few times more, but turns out that it's just a lot of work to, to do that. And so we kind of, we kind of skipped that, uh, thing. There's, um, a lady, her name is Eleanor picking up, uh, parcels and getting a dozen of eggs along with it. Parcels in the car, lady picking up a box. Uh, Mr. Michon, forget his first name. He comes every time. There's uh, that lady's name. Her, her name is Jill Parker. She's a homeschool mom. Her um, husband is away on military duty. So she has uh, five, five or six children. 
uh, single mom, her name is Margaret, um, comes every time. That's uh, Amanda. Her husband works for a pool company and due to COVID layoffs or due to COVID, town halls were closed and they weren't able to get uh, permits. So he was laid off work for a good six months. And so they were benefiting from a food parcel. There, my son is putting a parcel in the, the back of a car there. That's the, um, I mentioned uh, a lesbian pastor. That's uh, her right there, Tassandra is her name. Uh, she's actually, she's actually the one that I first went through to connect to this lady that I told you about, Sarah, who was very ill. Um, she had known that family and was involved in their lives. And I'd ask her if, if she could make the contact for me to go and, and bring a parcel and pray for them and ask her if they're people of faith and they'd be open to that. And, and she's like, yeah, absolutely. They're people of faith. They would, they would welcome your prayer. So I had a little bit of a intermediary there to help me set that up and, uh, lesbian pastor, no less. And, uh, God can, God can work in mysterious ways. This couple here, we're keeping their grandchildren, their parents, uh, the ch their their children. These people's children were uh, grown children, are are healthcare workers, so they're frontline workers, and they were isolating from their family. So the grandparents were keeping the grandchildren, and suddenly had a, a much higher food demand in the house, so they were benefiting from food parcels. This lady had a house fire and was living in a in a um, temporary home. So there she is receiving a parcel. That was on one of the early days when we probably only had 25 parcels to get picked up. So have them in the back of the van there, chilling, waiting till the people come. We kind of gave a, a tight window, like in a two hour window that people would come. So it didn't tie up all day. And now with, with nearly, with like 80 parcels being picked up today. We're gonna to give a much broader window. People can pick up between nine and five today. Another parcel, packing. And I guess that's the initial logo that we used. And I think that's the end of the file. Hey, very good. Thanks for sharing those photos, Andrew. Um, good to see some. Say sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. So, yeah, I think we're gonna we're ready for Jonathan, Jonathan Heisey, and I don't know Jonathan. He's from Colorado, but I'm gonna let him introduce himself and share about his uh, the ministry that he's involved in. I believe with international students. So, Jonathan, you got 15 minutes as well. So that's that takes us to 7:05. Go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Um, can you hear me? So, yeah, coming, coming to you this morning from Texas, actually, we're down here for our nephew's wedding, but I, we live in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. And, yeah, it's been great listening to um, Patrick and Andrew talking about what they're doing. And I was, I was looking at a passage out of Luke um, this morning and just thinking about how when Luke 10 
23, Jesus turned unto his, it says, Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. And then it says, A lawyer stood up, tempting him, and he asked the question, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the question, um, that he he goes into here is well the story he goes into he tells him a story and the the verse that was just kind of in the back of my mind this morning is is who is your neighbor and so many times we as humans we want to do something that's grand and glorious and we want to get out there and and do something that um yeah to make a difference and our story as a family um probably about four years ago it was before the pandemic Four years ago, we uh, hosted a student from South Korea, and she stayed at her house for a whole week, stayed the nights, and we sat there around the wood stove in the evening and just became friends. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, like, her story is kind of a sad story because she comes into um, the U.S. and her grades just spiral down. and um, yeah her her story was kind of sad because she didn't make any friends and so we just simply wanted to change that um story for the next international student coming into the u.s and we just started inviting students through a program called isi international student corporation we got introduced to like a fam uh friends and family program and we invited students out to our house and we homeschool. And so my wife was like, well, I don't think we should go into the on campus, uh, into the university. I think we should just invite him to our house. And so that's what kicked it off for us. And we, um, started inviting students out our, before the pandemic, our, our program pretty much looked like, uh, first and third Sundays, we'd invite them out for a worship time, uh, Sunday mornings at 11. And then the second and fourth Sundays, we'd invite them out for more of a social event, just in case there were students that were, I don't know, kind of anti anything religious and they wouldn't join for a, a worship service. They would quicker come out for a social event where we would just in the summertime sit in the backyard and have a barbecue and and play some games and, and sit and talk. Um, so. Yeah, we did that. And of course, when COVID hit here in the spring, everything, the clamps got put on everything. And so we just reverted from inviting them out to saying, well, why don't we just do uh, Zoom meetings with them? And it was a blessing in disguise because we ended up being able to invite students that returned to their home countries. Maybe they were only here for a as a, an exchange student for one semester and they went to their home country again. And the tendency is out of sight, out of mind, and you lose contact with them. And so we just invited students through Zoom. Um, I think of a gal back in um, Japan, a uh, couple guys went back to Italy and um, Mexico, 
And then there were some graduated students that stayed in the U.S. and, and got jobs. Um, and we could connect with all of them because, yeah, we were all mobile and we could come on. And they seemed to, to really enjoy that, too. So um, I don't know. I think one of the things uh, for us was don't look at life as, um, how do I want to say this? don't look at a doing something grand and glorious, just realize that there's needs. And if we can be a neighbor to the person that can't, um, but doesn't have family for the internationals, the biggest thing I think is that they don't have family around. And for us to just step in and kind of be their second family, their family away from home is really all we were, were trying to do for them. And we've created many friendships um, over the last few years in doing that. So back to Luke 10, 37, uh, it says, who is your neighbor? And Jesus, you know, he said, is, is he that showed mercy and not the person that sat and talked about doing something great. It was it was the person that that did it, not the person that talked about it. Um, there was two religious guys that walked by on the other side when that um, person was beat up, laying laying by the road. And so, just be willing to do um, instead of talking about it. I think of a conversation I had with a couple here just a couple of days ago, actually. And they were working with a ministry like within China. And I asked the question, I said, how do you, how do you um, work with the cross-culture question? Like, how do you, as you're in China, as you're living there in China, I said, how do you cross that cultural boundary or that cultural problem? Because I said, working with internationals, one thing that is very um, at the front of our minds is how different we all are. And so I said, how do you cross that that barrier, that cultural barrier, I guess I'd call it. And and they said, well, it, it's really hard, like even living there, it's hard to cross that barrier and actually get into the community and and make friends because they look at them as these american people and and the truth is we all do things differently and it my wife and i were talking about it after we had that conversation and i said you know that's one thing for us you know we we have the international people coming to us and coming into our culture and all we're really doing is doing is just showing them hospitality and saying, "Here, we just want to be um, hospitable and and show you what a an American family with five children look like serving." And so, yeah, I guess it's that simple. Um, it, it's not a big splash at all. We're just as a family doing this ministry to students and pray to God that it's seeds that are planted that in eternity um, will only see the rewards of that. Um, so 
that's about it. Hey, thanks a lot, Jonathan. Um, so I'm curious about you shared about you're doing Zoom, some Zoom calls with other with some of these students you've met. So what are you doing on them? I liked I liked how you had you talked about family and including them in um, you know, give them give them a family for a while when they're missing their own when they were here in the U.S. So if the Zoom calls you've been doing more lately, are you are you doing like Bible studies, just conversations? What sort of thing are you doing there? Yeah, so that's the thing that seemed to work the best um, is just more of a conversational type of thing. Um, it's it's hard to like when when they come out in person. Is, I should say it's a lot easier when they come out in person to have the people that are interested in what you're talking about. Say you're going to read a Bible story or um, try to engage them in a spiritual conversation of some sort it's easier when they're in your living room to kind of engage with the ones that want to engage and it seems like over zoom someone would just kind of check out until you're done talking or doing your thing and then kind of check back in and say hey oh okay they're done now we're now we're going to talk again um and so i I had we struggled with actually we've shared some videos um did a little bit of things like that, but it, it seemed like just the conversation is what what drew them in. And then interesting enough, the other week, one of the students that when he came, he was, he said, I don't believe in God. And he's the one that said, Hey, would your family sing a couple songs? Cause in our worship time, we'll just sit down and we'll sing hymns and then pray and read the Bible. Um, it's that simple. And he said, Hey, would you, would your family sing a song? And we're like, well, sure. Yeah. We'll get around the computer and we'll sing a song. And I said, what song you want to sing? And he right away picked the song that he likes to sing. And then one of the other students was like, Hey, can you sing this song? And until we ended up being done, there was, we sang three, three or four songs maybe. And I could just, I don't know, we, we were watching them while we were singing and it was just a blessing. We were blessed to see how they were enjoying it. Um, so, yeah. Hey, that's great. Um, yeah, praise the Lord for the opportunity and the way you've used it. Someone else have a question for Jonathan? Jonathan, um, how how do you establish those initial contacts and maybe you mentioned that maybe i just blanked out but uh like so here we are in in western mass and just north of us like 20 minutes away 15 minutes away is umass with 28,000 students and then well the five college consortium there's probably nearly 40,000 students in the area like how would we break into that that's something we've been interested in but um i guess haven't crossed that barrier Sure. I mean, the way we got into it was there was there was a program on campus called Crew, and I'm not even sure what it start. It, it stands for Christian something Crew. I think it's maybe a nationwide network. But the gal that brought that South Korean girl out to our house, she was a crew member that worked on campus, and so we went to her and said, "How do we?" With the same question, "How do we get 
kind of our foot in the door in the campus. And she right away gave us the name of two guys. And one of them just local, just lived a mile down the road from us. And they were working with this ISI, International Student Corporation. And so he came out and just had a little interview with my wife and I. And we kind of told them what we were interested in doing. And so they they were asked to come in as an ISI partner. They were asked to come in every time they did new student orientation at the um, universities. They were asked to come in and do a, just an hour culture shock presentations, what they called it. And so they, pre-COVID, they would invite us to come and one time I got to share the culture shock orientation, but I didn't really care about that part. I just wanted to be there and be, show my face and bring the family because when people come over from China, a student comes from China, they look at a family with five kids and they say, what, you know, this just kind of shocks them. And so it, it, it's, sparked their interest a lot of times to come out at least one time. And then when they come out one time, then we kind of had it hooked and they wanted to come back again. And I don't know, that's, that's how we got into it. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Any other questions from anyone for Jonathan here? So you, you answered my first question about how you first uh, connected with the students, and that was through different organizations. A uh, follow-up one would be, how do you establish a common ground? Um, is it like around food? Is you, you, kind of, you have them in your home and you, you start there, or do you have like a common theme you want to discuss? Uh, I'm just trying to think about ways to get the conversation going across those cultural uh, barriers. I would say number one, yeah, we we always give them a meal. Um, food's just a good way to to cut the. I mean, yeah, everybody eats food, so if we're gonna have a meal, we're gonna it's gonna get us around the table. Number one, and I don't know. I would probably just say um, create a relationship. They're not gonna they're not going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I guess our intention as a family is just to, is just to be a friend and I'll just, maybe I'll just drop a story here. Um, I'm a long-winded storyteller, so I'm going to try to keep it really short, but this guy was a student from India and he came and he, he kind of took our family as family and he called my wife, mom, and he calls our children you know brothers and sisters and and just he really adopted us as his second family while he was here at the university um but one sunday morning at about 6 a.m i get a text from him and he says my brother just died and i said what because i knew in our conversations i thought he only had one brother and he was pretty young and Anyway, long story short, his 16-year-old brother um, was in New York, and they were having a party, underage drinking party, and he drank too much and got sick, and he went. his brother went back in the corner and didn't want his friends to see him um, sick, and he vomited, and he basically died. He choked on his own, own vomit right there in the corner of their house they were partying in. 
And so I say all that to say this, that I don't think he would have called me at six o'clock Sunday morning if we wouldn't have had a relationship built. Obviously, he wouldn't ever call me, but he ended up coming out just just him. He was the only one that came out that Sunday morning. Um, it was pretty us doing it every week. We were doing it every other week, and it was an off week. So he came out, and to us, it was a wonderful opportunity to just show him God's love. And before he came out, I'm like, you know, what do you say to a guy like this, you know, facing a dramatic um, thing like this? And so we messaged somebody. Um, I'm not sure if I'm getting it all straight here, but we messaged somebody before he came out and just said, how do you, how do you um, relate to somebody like this? And a person that had lived in India said, um, well, they didn't respond right away. So this guy came out and, and we said, well, you know, stay for lunch and, and hang out as long as you want. And so we thought my wife just had this, um, she had lentils in the crock pot for lunch that day. And cause I, I, maybe we were having actually having students out for the evening. I believe we were having students out for the evening that day, but he came out in the morning and she had food cooking for the evening. And so we basically had rice and, and lentils and in their um, culture it would be dull and never thought about it. And he went home that evening and Monday morning, I got this email back from this party that had worked with uh, people from India. And they, and they said their response was um, whenever they face dramatic things or, or death, um, their comfort food is dull. And I just sat there and looked at my wife and smiled. And I said, you know, God just, he works in wonderful ways. And, and it, it was a small thing, but I tell you, it boosted my faith. Thanks for that. Um, thanks for that story. And I really, the family focus also resonates with me. Um, and yeah, got a bunch to think about. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jonathan. You mentioned something about it's not the person who talks about doing things or, you know, just being available and, and taking the opportunities of serving others, serving your neighbor. So I guess that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're talking about it, but hopefully we can, as, as the Bible says, we can provoke or stir each other up to, to love and good works. So yeah, I hope this can be an opportunity for that. We are ready to wrap this up here. I just want to remind you that at 3 PM is the special, this, uh, the special, um, event with uh, talk talk with David Brousseau and that's called direction and chaos. So I'm excited about um, tuning into that and we welcome you all back for that. And if you know someone else that's interested, let them know, send a link along. It's on, on the strength to strength.org website. And also if you're on a face or a WhatsApp or a telegram group, it will be of course posted on there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to, to meet together in this way. And I just pray your blessing on the, the 
the works we've heard about this morning and, and the, those that are involved in that give us eyes to see the opportunity and uh, willingness and, and heart to, to care for our neighbors. Bless us as we go through this day, we pray, and, and we find your direction in this craziness and, and follow you faithfully and, and, and be a witness to those, a light to those who are looking on. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and God bless your day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 